0: you ask me anything listeners um this is jd and uh normally the first voice you hear here is matt's and he's not going to join us today i'm just going to kind of take this on myself on may 22nd um a report was released by Guidepost that detailed um, a lot of very difficult and troubling things about um how Southern Baptist as a as a convention of churches, how they have handled abuse uh, abuse cases, um, reporting of abuse over the last twenty years, and a lot of us um, reading that, um, reading it for the first time on May twenty second, were um, were were troubled, saddened, heartbroken, um, horrified at, at various parts of it. And the purpose of, of what I'm going to do today is not to. Um, not really to go through the report and and talk about it, but just really to ask a question that I've started to to get a lot, and that is, how are you, how are you processing this, and what does it mean to be a part of a, a convention? What does it mean to be a part of a group of churches that? Uh, that that has some of this in its past. How do you process? Are you going to stay, remain as a part of the conve- um, the convention? And so that, that's the question we want to deal with on Ask Me Anything because it is one that, that that I'm getting a lot from right here on our our staff team to churches that we've planted to others of you around around the country. And the first thing I want to do is just affirm that you know there's a time for everything, and this is not the time for us to to really be in the mode of like talking about you know, the good and uh, stuff in in the SBC, trying to defend it. I mean, this is primarily a time for us to lament and to repent where we have failed. And I want that to be um, just very, very clear. Um, that I think the posture that we all have to have is a posture of brokenness and a posture of grieving. Um, but for those that are asking the question, um, you know why why would you choose to remain as a part of a churches when group of churches when this came out? Um, here, here's what I want to say. Um, you know, I've always said in my time as president that there was a a pretty vast dissonance between most SBC members and pastors you know, that group and some of what I experienced and some of the executive leadership and some of the members of the executive committee, which is that committee that, you know, runs uh, the the operations of the convention between conventions. Um, and, you know, what I when I read this report, it was just another reinforcement that the actions of those who abuse their positions of power to not um, listen to and to um, uh, to discourage abuse victims from from coming forward, that these do not reflect the will of the Southern Baptist people and the pastors um, that that I spent most of my time with as as president. In fact, they're horrified um, at, at at this report. Um, I've always thought of my my presidency um, and the reason that I was doing what I was doing in the convention as really trying to keep the Messengers Convention out of the hands of a few. Who didn't reflect the attitude of, of the SBC? It, it felt wrong to say, well, we're just going to let these leaders because nobody else steps up. We're going to let them control um, everything. Uh, you know, I, I feel like Southern Baptist people deserve more to say, this is who we want to be as a people. This is the kind of gospel we want to not only preach, but also want to have influence the culture um, at the SBC. Uh, in fact, I, I feel like some of uh, often my role is to stand in that gap and to say, you know, you cannot have the the power of the SBC that people don't want that you know if there is a, a one note of encouragement in a, in, a, in an otherwise tragic situation um, to me it's that it's that the messengers themselves called for this guidepost report uh, it it wasn't something that that was imposed on them from the outside it wasn't something that a leader um, was you know said we need to do this it it came from the body of messengers in fact over the obfuscation. And the obstacles presented by some of the leaders, um, and so this was something that that you know they did not believe that the behavior of their leaders was reflecting the values that they held as a people, and that I find that to be encouraging. You know, one of the things to note here is that the Southern Baptist Convention has a rather unique structure among denominations that allows this, um, because we are a bottom up. Uh, organization. We believe in the autonomy of the local church. Uh, we believe that each church uh, is not, you know, ruled by a pastor. It's a it's a congregation that ultimately holds the final say. And that congregation sends messengers, and those messengers representing this, you know, coalition of churches. They um, they're the ones who ultimately put the people into positions to make um, make decisions and exercise leadership. And those leaders are responsible to the people. And those people can overturn what they decide, and they can hold those leaders accountable. Um, and 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 in this moment um, you saw that you saw that in action I think that is a biblical and wise safeguard and and sometimes, when you're inside it, you don't realize how unique it is because most denominations do have a top-down structure. I mean, the ultimate example of this, of course, is, is, is the Roman Catholic Church, but even other denominations are, are, are structured so that you've got bishops and you've got different people at different things that really do control, um, a lot of what happens. And that's just not the way it is in the convention. Um, the Southern Baptist convention, I, I, I want to be in a convention where the people have the power because like we see, um, Usually, it is the leaders who go corrupt more quickly than the people. And while nothing is nothing is foolproof, uh, you know, we we recognize that when you have unchecked power in the hands of a few, um, as it was in the case of the SBC, you've got you've got corruption there, and it's it's the people that hold accountable the leaders rather than vice versa. This report reveals some some significant leaders who abuse their power to to protect. The institution to protect their own power. Uh, Most of those, um, most of those major leaders uh, that were named in the report had had already been removed before the report came out. Uh, You know, of course, Johnny Hunt being one of the ones that 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 nobody had anticipated and um, immediately uh, resigning from from the North American Mission Board, the North American Mission Board um, accepting that resignation. Um, the the executive committee that the re, the guidepost report details caused so much of the resistance to some of the reforms um, uh, you know, that, that executive committee, they, um, we are already seeing the effect of, of change as new people that were appointed to these committees came onto the executive committee. Um, the current executive committee staff, uh, the ones who, you know, full time at work there in Nashville, they didn't know anything about some of the most egregious systemic failures. And the, the current executive committee board and staff have already acted swiftly. To refute and reverse whatever they they they, they can. There are already a, a significant number of proposals for reform that I believe are going to be enacted here in the next few weeks in Anaheim. Which, by the way, um, I would encourage you to be there and to have a full slate of messengers because this is the moment now to say we're serious about this and we want to change our future. Um, you know, one of the other things I think about with this is I think about our our precious missionaries um, out on the field who get up every day and think um, entirely about how to bring people, many of whom have never heard the name of Jesus, how to bring that knowledge to them. In a lot of ways they're depending on us to do the right thing on our side of the of the ocean and to not let bad leaders take positions um, and exercise influence just because we're too lazy or high-minded to do so um, it's one of the reasons I believe if you you know if you believe in in the mission you believe in the um, what we do in terms of church planning and, and missionaries it's it's inexcusable to stay disconnected I want to be involved so that that people with the wrong values and that that, that, that don't lead correctly aren't in those positions and I feel like I'm doing this um, really is my act of service to to what these missionaries are Doing on the field, you know, one of the things we use around our church is a lot of times is that famous statement by William Carey that you know, he's willing to dangle on one end of the rope overseas if if the people who sent him were were willing to do the hard work of holding securely to the to the other end, and that's what this moment is about. Now it's time for us to to hold on and and, and to say we're we're very serious about leading in a way that glorifies Christ and that um, that. That maintains integrity and that lives up to the um, to the fullest expressions of the gospel. Um, people ask, they say, "Well, what exactly has got to change?" Um, and that's obviously going to be a, a much more detailed discussion. But I would say there are three primary things that 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 I think of when when I think of what's got to change. Um, like a good Southern Baptist, they all start with P: um, people, pastors, and policy. For people, the people, the Southern Baptist people. Like I said at the beginning, this is a time to repent. It's a time to ask, like, why did we allow um, structures to be put into place? Why did we elect leaders? Um, where was our carelessness and where was our, our failure of holding people accountable that allowed us to get in this situation? I don't think we can pass the blame on that at all. We may not have been the leaders that were doing that, but we, we were part of a system that did it. And we have to ask that one of the presidential candidates for, um, for the SBC this year, Bart Barber, he asked a very legitimate question. He said, look, do we elect bad leaders or do we, do we, do we, do we, Make good leaders bad? Do we allow them to go bad and and not say anything? I think that's something for us to to ask and to to, to lament. Pastors, I think pastors we that are leading churches and institutions in the SBC have to commit ourselves to um, raising awareness and also to educating those that are underneath our charge on, on 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 what the best practices are in terms of reporting and in terms of um, care for. Uh, survivors and and what the right way to handle these situations are. There's a lot of things that happen because people are just unaware or ignorant of of how this works. We're all on a on a learning curve, but we we pastors have to take responsibility for the safety of our of our flocks and. And ensure that we are doing so in the way that keeps them um, that keeps them safe. Um, the third policies, uh, you know, I think we're we're, we're going to have to ask some questions about um, are, are we are we sufficiently transparent? What does accountability look like? Um, we, we cannot allow bureaucratic mumbo jumbo or legalese to keep us from doing the right thing. You know, I, I think one of the things that we all got a little sick of was hearing legal counsel say, well, we can't do this because it, it it creates liability. In some ways we were a convention that was run by lawyers when it should have been run by by pastor leaders. You know, I, I sort of say tongue in cheek, a lawyer's lawyers, their job is to tell us what we can't do, but a but a biblical leader tells us what we have to do. And somewhere between there, you're supposed to figure out what you, what you ought to do. Um, we want to do this in ways that are legally responsible, but we don't want to let legalese or, or bureaucratic stuff keep us from doing what we know is right, and that is protecting the people in our, um, in our churches and in our institutions. Um, there's, in our policies, there's got to be a, a significant shift of priority, prioritizing, uh, no longer prioritizing the protection of our reputation, of our institutions, and shift that to protection of the victim that we're going to focus on that. It it was something that I felt like the Holy Spirit said to me early in my presidency. He said, I just need you to forget trying to defend the SBC and you prioritize the safety of the victims. And you let me worry about, uh, worry about the, um, the reputation of the, your church or the Southern Baptist church. Um, I would say, um, the the other side of that is there's gotta be a shift in our policies of, um, defaulting to giving the benefit of the doubt, um, to our leaders. And we need to give the benefit of the doubt to uh, many of these victims that are coming forward. One of the tragedies in this is that um, a lot of survivors had to show courage um, in the face of our resistance that they should not have had to show because we should have been fighting for them. And I think that's got to be not just a heart response. We've got to say, where are we discouraging victims from coming forward? And where do we need to make it much easier to be able to to, to listen and to examine properly, to make sure our churches really are safe from abusers and safe for the abused to not only find safety, but also find, find healing and recovery.